Hello, and welcome to the E-Cubed podcast coming to you from MMS, Mall of America. I'm your host, Bill Burnett, and our esteemed guests today are Kim Oppelfens and Tom DeGree. Good afternoon. Hey, Bill. Hey, Bill. So today we're going to be talking about Configuration Manager, Defending the Castle. But before we do that, let's talk about what stresses you out outside of the world of technology, solving problems for companies, and giving uh, sessions to uh, a lot of leaders in our space. What, what, what outside of that would you find stressful? Well, that's an interesting question. Um, I'm under instructions nowadays to bring back a stuffed animal bunny kind of thing from the Build-A-Bear shop. <laughs> and doing that right apparently is more challenging than I would have figured. There's apparently a lot involved in building the correct animal so, so, in one of those shops. Oh, so you're not just buying something, you're, you've got to build, you've got to build them the thing and bring it home. Yes. Wow, that is a lot of pressure. <laughs> and so, so what were the guidelines you were given? You had some basic project design specifications as I understand yes, it. Yes, it's, uh, it's supposed to be a bunny, it's not supposed to be, supposed to be overly stuffed, it's not supposed to be too weak either. Um, the face has to be symmetrical and look funny yet amusing um, and nice. That wow. was roughly it. I'm getting stressed out just thinking of having to, to complete that assignment. I agree on that. <laughs> if, if I don't make it back to the next MMS, you guys know what happened. We know what happened. Okay, well, I wish you well on your journey. And Tom, you just bought a house. And as I understand it, you are not in charge of the decorating. It's, it's probably the same topic as with Kim. I mean, if, if you put a man in charge of decorating a house, it's probably not going to be the taste. The... <laughs> can be can be questionable in many scenarios. Are you getting new furniture, moving your furniture in, a little bit of both? A, a little bit of both, yeah. We're initially going to move our furniture in and, and, and see how that works out. And then we probably need to buy some additional stuff. Right, right. And painting rooms, did you decide to do colors? <sighs> we have to do colors. But again, the decision on what colors go where... <laughs> I'm not going to debate on that. Okay, I can see this is stressing. This is a stressful topic as yes. well. So we'll jump into the easy, relaxing world of saving corporations from uh, evil cyber attacks. <laughs> so, Sounds like a good plan. <laughs> so why, uh, why configuration manager security as its own topic? This has not been something that's come up a lot recently in the conferences, but it's coming up now. What have you seen? I don't think it's ever come up that we've noticed this, which is one of the reasons why we uh, why we did it. We typically mm -hmm. build sessions either at a deep level that haven't been done before or yeah. about content that haven't been done before. And we came up with uh, defending the castle or SCCM security to give it a more understandable name um, because we noticed that although we use SCCM to secure a lot of the clients, not a lot of focus is given to actually securing the system that is responsible for providing that security. So we, we use SCCM for patching workstations, for sending out endpoint protection policies. Uh, we do all sorts of security related things towards our clients, 
there's not a heavy focus on how do I secure the mechanism that actually delivers that. And that's huge because that is a very juicy uh, meal for an attacker, right? Exactly. Because if exactly. they can get a hold of configuration manager, now they can wreak all kinds of havoc and you'll never even know. Yeah, th that's it, right? All the traffic is going to look like regular SCCM traffic. Yeah. So nobody's going to pay attention to that. You can do a lot of things that will go largely unnoticed. Right, right, right. Yeah, no, you could literally install an application called siphon money from this person's bank account and it wouldn't really necessarily trip any alarms. Exactly, yeah, that's the whole point. Exactly. One of the things we did see in building this session is that there's one session that was popular at DEF CON, one of the more security-focused conferences, uh -huh. and they used the slogan, owning one to rule them all, and owning that one was particularly mentioned to be SCCM. Owing SCCM <laughs> means you rule them all. So good. So you are you are uh, providing information that not everybody knows they need, but they all really do need. So let's talk about. Um, you have an agenda here. You are covering two two full hour and forty five minute sessions, and you're saying that's not even enough time for this entire topic. Yes, we've, uh, we've built a huge slide deck and, and we would have loved to demo more in, in how all of this works and yeah. how some of these things can be used slash abused. Mm -hmm. um, but there was no way we could do that in the time, slot, um, time slots we had. Um, so Okay, so here's, here's my suggestion for uh, MMS Jazz Edition. Let's invent the eight-hour session. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how many attendees you would get on that. You know, Maybe if we add beer to that, that might help. <laughs> you can after, make it after, up. after hours. You're familiar yeah. with Das Rheingold, the 14-hour opera? It's, it's an opera that's 14 hours long. Okay. Uh, but uh, it's often broken up into three performances, each of which sounds too long to me. <laughs> a friend recently posted on Facebook, I got tickets to Das Rheingold, and I thought, oh, I, feel <laughs> I hope you're not making anyone go with you. <laughs> You've got to really be dedicated. So we're going to high-level this. We're going to not quite make it a pop song, but I'm going to go through your high-level agenda and let you give us some basic guidelines of things to look out for, things to do, and maybe point us to resources. So we won't dig into that kind of depth at all. The first thing you have here is content security. What do you mean when you say content security? Content security is about SCCM delivers packages, applications, software updates, images. Um, if anybody can alter the original sources of that, mm -hmm. then obviously the changed sources are going to be deployed if somebody updates that content in SCCM. So the content security was about how do you protect your content security? Um, how do you make sure that nobody changes the content? How do you make sure that nobody hijacks that server? How do you make sure that nobody creates a rogue server that looks like the source server but isn't? Um, yeah. And how do you make sure that nobody tricks you through either tech or social engineering to update a package of which you no longer are confident or sure that the sources are the sources you actually placed on the server and that they haven't been manipulated? Yeah, that seems like the tricky one. Is there, uh, is there, checksum? Is there checksum on that or how is that validated? 
no, there's no there's checksum after you've imported it into SCCM, mm -hmm. but not after delivery. Uh, no, that is that's been that's taken care of. So whatever is in SCCM and goes out to the client, that'll match. But there is no way you can guarantee that what you import in SCCM is still legit. I see. Right. So you can name something Office 365 installer and import it. But they can't change the files after it's installed into SCCM. You can't go into the library and overwrite. No, that's correct. No, okay. But it, but at the setup.exe of Office 365 installer, I could replace that with something else. And if you then specify in SCCM that you want to update your distribution points with new content, because you think there's an error on the distribution point or whatever, then you'll import the changed sources and the changed sources will get deployed to agents. Got it. Okay. Yeah, there's like a lot of people using um, wrappers like PowerShell App Deployment Toolkit is very popular. If I would add just a few lines of codes in that installer, you'll probably yeah. never notice. Okay, right. That makes total sense. And so what do you recommend people do about this? Be very, very cautious in um, permissions uh, into who is allowed to update um, content on a file server. Be very, very cautious on how many people have both the file level permissions on those sources or have administrative permissions on the server that hosts those. Um, right. Okay. Host so really servers. you just need to lock that down really yeah. carefully so yeah. that, yeah. so that nobody gets that access. Exactly. Yeah. And obviously the basic security stuff, no access for admin to anybody who doesn't absolutely need it. You want to be auditing whoever's got all those things and you want to be never sharing passwords, etc. Yeah. Yeah. Si sign your scripts. That'll help as well. If you sign your PowerShell App Deployment tool Toolkit scripts, I cannot alter the content without re-signing it. So. Ah, okay. Good, good, good. And server attacks. What are you talking about when you say server attacks? Well, basically, if you, if you have control over the SCCM server itself, as we, as we started this topic on, it, you control the entire environment because I can inject applications. I can, I can create an application uh, in SCCM that's not visible in the admin UI, yet I can deploy it to collections. Oh wow! So it wouldn't even be visible in the configuration manager. No, console. and I can then create a hidden, well, a hidden deployment on the client side, so it would do whatever SCCM does regularly. It'll do it very well, yeah. but you'll not see it. Are you ever tempted to use these powers for evil? Why would we? We're on the good side. <laughs> no. <laughs> Hasn't crossed our mind. <laughs> no, but if you, if you think about it, like all the, all the hackers out there, they know their stuff. They know their yeah. uh, protocols, they know how to get into Windows. They don't know SCCM very well. So if you would combine our knowledge of SCCM with their knowledge of, of protocols and operating system uh, things, you can get some very powerful things out there. Yes, so if you wanted to be evil, you would be evil geniuses, but you're not gonna do that because you are on the side of good. Tom and I have a monthly meeting in which we talk about new things we, we wanna do. And I think about every three months, we take out a very little chunk out of that day and we look at, all right, if we would build a ransomware, how, <laughs> how would we do it? <laughs> how would we build a ransomware that makes it challenging for folks to get to their resources and well, no, that's a really smart way to shore up your defenses, right? Yes. So because if you're thinking of what are the ways I could build ransomware, you're also thinking of how can I defend against. Yeah, it. yeah, and we and we 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 do that with technology that 
we've learned over the years and then mm-hmm. things that we're studying. Um, each time we look obviously at how do we best implement this? How do we do this in a proper way? How do we make, make processes around it? But every once in a while we take the time to, and what if we wanted to use this for evil? How would we do that? What could possibly go wrong? What would be the challenges? You know, this is actually a great best practice for configuration manager admins to take some time to start to think about how would they hack their system. That's a very valuable exercise in, in planning your defenses, I would imagine. That's, that's how we started actually the, the sessions. Like we want you guys to think like a hacker. How can this, how does this apply to my environment? What can I do to do to defense against? Uh... So server attacks, how are you going to defend against them? What's the advice you have for people? It really depends on, on it, it, it comes down again to locking down access to your server. You don't want, you basically might not even want full admins on your SCCM server. Why would I need full admin access? on my SCCM environment if I don't have to do um, stuff that's that's uh, like reconfiguring the server for all your day-to-day uh, works or needs. You don't need to be full This admin. is a really good point. And um, a lot of people don't think at that level. I know Sammy Laiho said that on his computers at home, he does not even, he has, he has an admin account that he sets them up with, but he logs in with an account that doesn't have admin yeah. access. Yeah. And I, I talked to people about that and they said, oh, I don't want to go to that much trouble. But you're saying it's kind of worth it, and especially in the configuration manager world, you don't need full, full admin access on that box to do your job. So leave one account doing that and then log in with respect. Exactly, or, or even you know make an empty admin group and add yourself to that group if you ever need to do admin work, but you don't have to. It's like, like Logging in with your domain admin account every day on your normal workstations. People hopefully don't do that anymore. They have their own separate account. They don't use their domain yeah. admin account to log on to, that, to their workstation. This is similar. Okay, great. And SCCM MFA. So you're talking about MFA for getting into the server itself? Yes. SCCM MFA is a relatively new feature. I'd say 18.06 or 18.10. Yeah. Um, but it allows you to make sure that SCCM admins either use a smart card to authenticate, uh-huh. which means they have certificate and PIN for the multi-factor, yeah. or you can use Hello for Business if you've deployed Hello for Business. Hello for Business is one of the options to allow you access to the SCCM admin UI. And as we've just said, if I own SCCM, I own them all. So it kind of makes sense to actually log into the SCCM admin UI using credentials that are slightly more secure than just a random username and password that somebody might have guessed, hacked, or whatever. And as, as David James of the product team said um, during one of the, our talks about MFA, he said, well, apparently a lot of people now use MFA on Office 365 and the admins of Office 365. These are the folks that protect your Word documents and your PowerPoints and things like that. Yeah. They use MFA for that. If they use MFA to protect that data, you might want to look at using MFA to protect somebody that can deliver software to every device inside your company. What do you care about most? What do you want to lose least? Some Word documents and some PowerPoints that might be incredibly valuable to you or all of the resources and all of your workstations all of your endpoints and everything on them, including their documents. Exactly. (laughs) 
Right. So MF, MFA makes total sense. Unfortunately, we don't see it being used often enough. So when was it added to SACM? I'd say 1806 or 1810. It's a, it's so it's a, been it's, around it's, for a while. It's mature. It's in there. Yeah. And what do people need to do to turn it on? Open up a check, open up an, a tab in hierarchy settings of the site server and enable the check marks. It's really that easy. It's really that easy. Any blogs you want to point us to for people to go do that? Or really I, just look at the docs. Kim yeah. promised to blog about it after MMS. You promised it on my behalf. That's not the exact thing. <laughs> it's the same thing. Well, okay, well, I'll include a list of pointers to blogs that people have promised. <laughs> <laughs> there will be no pointers. Okay, and uh, SCCM role-based access. The uh, RBA. So is that is there's more than we we already kind of covered uh, that you don't want to be in as admin. But when you talk about role based access with SCCM, how are you divvying that up? Who does what? How granular do you get? You you can be very very granular. Um, we didn't cover this in a whole lot of detail because we assumed that this was something that most of the audience at least had some knowledge about, and uh -huh. we specifically wanted to talk about new things that they might not have um, yeah. considered. I think our main topic that we wanted to bring across is what Tom already said, create an empty full administrators group. Nobody needs to be in the full administrators group in the SSM admin UI on a permanent basis. You don't change settings that often. It doesn't make sense. And the SSM full administrator, as the name implies, can do just about anything. So, and and. That comes down to what I've had at a customer years ago where we were doing a review of their environment and they gave me full administrative credentials. And I said, I'm not starting the assignment until you give me a read-only account. Wow. I, I don't need full admin for what you want me to do here. You're giving me an account that's overprivileged, that creates a liability for me. Right. If somebody, Because yeah. I don't control that username and password because it's in your active directory. I don't want it to be a full admin. I, there's too many people that can later on abuse that account and it has my name it on it. It comes back to you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not interested. Give me a read-only account. Okay. And that's that was interesting, one for me, but also for that particular customer, because I said, wait a minute, most of the engineers always want God-like superpowers. <laughs> of course they do. <laughs> and, and all of a sudden, we have a consultant coming in that says, I want less power and that to them was an eye-opener that wait a minute we never considered this liability thing maybe i shouldn't have a desire to be godlike at every point in time sure if you want to have to do your work and you need those godlike powers at a certain point in time well you have them for that brief period of time and you give them away afterwards that's a really powerful lesson. That's uh, and that's independent of your hourly rate or however you did your consulting with them. But that's like a uh, that's something that you is really hard to impress on people. And when they they come to it, they make that recognition in their own head through something like that. It's really powerful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The problem is for most engineers. I assume it's it's just an additional burden to enter additional credentials whenever they need to do that. So just logging in with a high privileged account makes their life easier. But it's, it's yeah, you can also, I mean, it's not even, it's not even about security maybe, but you can also make mistakes really easily right. at that point. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. if you do something wrong with that account, there's nothing preventing you from, or there's nothing from stopping you doing that. If you have just 
a low-level account, you probably can make a lot less mistakes. This is a really, really valuable point, right? That there are a lot of cases where having the least privileges that can be given to you to do whatever it is that you do is to your benefit because you don't have to worry that you're going to go blow up some server in some other country that you had no intention you were even connected exactly. to. Exactly. Right? I mean, a mistake is easily made. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Okay. And SQL security. What do you guys have to say about SQL security? Well. It's interesting because um, there's actually there's an official Microsoft blog about this topic that if you are a local administrator on a server that hosts SQL, you can become a SQL admin. So it's, it's basically pointed out as a recovery option. If you lose access to your SQL server, if you are a local admin on that box, yeah, yeah. you'll just add yourself back to the local administrators group or the SQL server. And once I'm a SQL admin and it hosts the SCCM database, I can add myself to the SCCM admin group and become an SCCM admin. Oh, wow, okay, yeah. It just, we demonstrated that. There's a few lines of code to actually add yourself into the SCCM uh, administration. Yeah, no, there's not much to that. I mean, that's pretty straightforward. Okay, yeah. interesting. So, and then, and so the, how do people guard against it? What do you, or what do you recommend that they do? Obviously, you can't change that mechanism. That's the nature of the OS and, and the servers. But how, how do you recommend people handle this in their environment? Well, the SCCM part is basically by replacing the SID of an admin with your own uh, SID. Um, so we, are, we added a query to our, uh, to our PowerPoint that if you run that on SQL, it'll point out if there has been some mismatches on the SID. So you can rather easily see that. And then for your, yeah, your regular admins on, on the box that hosts SQL, it's just, yeah, the, the same thing. Like, be careful who is an admin on that box. Do they really all need to be an admin on that box? Yeah. Okay. It, okay. It, it's it's going to be similar. One... As an SCCM admin, I don't necessarily need to, need to be an OS admin on the SCCM server. And if I have to be, or if you just decide you want to be, again, use MFA. We can use MFA on the SCCM admin UI, but I can equally enforce MFA for you to log into that box. Yeah. And we've had that, that possibility for like years. So we... We don't have customers, well, we do have customers that have enabled it now, but we didn't have many um, that have SSM MFA enabled. We do have a number on which the admin UI is only available on machines where the login to that machine requires you to use MFA. A, a typical customer has, has like an admin group on all of their servers and they yeah. add people to that. How well do they clean it up? Like if people leave the company, are those accounts really been disabled, really been deleted? There's not a lot of customers that do a lot of proper AD maintenance. No. So no, those I accounts are still there. They can be abused and you probably not even know. Right. Yep. Absolutely. Okay, good. So now let's move on to status messages. What are you talking about here? What is the, what is the security need around status messages? Status messages is a way for a client or site systems to send status towards the system. Um, the interesting thing is that the status message system is like at least two decades old. Um, and sending status messages is one of the few things in SCCM where a client can send what we call un unauthenticated data. And if a client sends status messages through its proper work and, and functioning, uh -huh. right, that obviously ends up in the admin UI, but there are APIs available on the client for me to send any status message along as I wish and as I desire. And the MP will just accept it and add it to the database. Right. 
you could say, well, there's not much wrong in doing that. I could, I could be annoying and fill up your database, make you, make you right. a larger Unless database. Right, SQL injection or something? No, I wouldn't be able to do SQL injection. Okay. Um, I would be able to fill up your database. I would be able to do, if I really wanted to, potentially a denial of service attack if I use enough resources yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, for that. Or I can use it in somewhat of a social engineering-like attack. And I've changed your package sources. How about I send you a message from a number of clients saying, I have a hash mismatch on these sources. If I send you enough of these messages um, and I send you messages that the install cannot work, uh -huh. You might be inclined to go into the admin UI and say, okay, I'll update the distribution points and see whether that fixes it. Now, if these messages are unauthenticated, you just help me to make sure that the sources that I manipulated now get sent out through now the get YouTube. into SCCM because I didn't have access to SCCM. Mm. I did have access to your sources and I did have access to one or a number of clients that would allow me to trick you into doing things that you probably shouldn't have. Yeah. We asked a question during the session, like if you would see these status messages saying, hey, there is a mismatch on the DP, oh. what's the first thing you'll do? And they'll go like, yeah, we'll just update content on the DP because that's what a regular admin would do to fix it. Yeah. But if I've altered those sources, you might become, you might have an issue there. Right, and actually, when you, now that I think about it, I mean, if you have the ability to generate any status messages you want from one or more clients, there's all kinds of mischief you could create. Yeah, uh, yeah. We can trick you into doing a client push back to our machine and capture the hash of that account and abuse it for other things. Correct. Yeah, you could flag security violations that aren't really happening to get a response. Yeah. Okay, I can see where it would be fun to think about being evil. Okay, so <laughs> <laughs> client install approval upgrade authentication. That is a triple slash word you have there. What are you guys talking about there? What's the basic threat and need? Well, the, the, the basic threat is once you get approved in SCCM, SCCM will send you a number of policies that are determined to be secret policies. They're determined to be secret policies because guess what? They contain secrets. Um, and the, probably the best well-known secret policy that we have is a policy for the network access account and that policy contains the username and password of that specific account. Okay. Um, the biggest risk there is that most environments, because it's the default setting, um, auto-approve any machine that joins the SCCM environment if that machine is domain joins. Now, Active Directory by default allows any regular user to join up to 10 devices. Okay. So any user account I find in your environment roughly gives me access to those secret policies. That's probably the weakest link in, in the client. And, and, how are you, and how are you, what are you recommending people do? If we really have our pick, I'd say switch to HTTPS for your SCCM environment. Um, that's going to be the most secure. That would be your best solution. That's going to be the most secure yeah. option. Okay, and if, if for some reason they can't do that, what's the next best option? Make sure that those secret policies, they will go out, make sure that the impact of somebody knowing what is in those secret policies is as small as possible. Yeah, we, we come across 
this issue way too often where the, like, for example, the network access account is, again, too overpowered. It has too much power in it. Just the level of credential is, is too high, which you really don't need. I mean, it just needs to access a share. Yeah. Uh, so you can really tie it down, but not a lot of companies put the effort in doing that. Right, right, right. Okay. And OSD, uh, this is going to be a vast, vast topic because when you're talking about OSD, you're not just managing your access to the OSD process, you're managing the contents and the settings that are going out to all your clients. It sounds like, that sounds like that alone could be two whole sessions. Probably, yeah. Um, we had it done on the OSD slide without the slide deck in front of, in front of us. It's going to be hard to have all of them uh, mentioned, but there were, there were little ones with that I noticed that kind of stumped the audience. One of them is you can start OSD from a USB stick. Uh -huh. What people don't realize is that if they use that stick, obviously that stick somewhat, somehow has to authenticate with the OSD environment. And people don't question how that actually happens. Well, how that happens is there's a client out certificate on those sticks. That's what authenticates with the infrastructure. Mm -hmm. Guess what people do not do with those boot media? Be very, very cautious about where they lie around. Make sure right, that yeah. they inventory those boot media. Make sure that if one of those sticks get lost, that certificate is actually in the admin UI. So you can block it so that the stick is no longer usable and not just the stick so that the certificate is no longer usable to authenticate against your environment. Nobody, or at least we noticed that in the room, a lot of people said, yeah, we've never considered that. And no, we're not very, very strict about where those boot media devices are. We create boot media and new sticks on a regular basis. And then we just hand them up. Yeah, and people think that if you put like a Pixie password or, or a boot media password, that that'll be sufficient protection, but not against these type of things. Interesting. Okay. And okay. The, the, the certificates expire, I think, by default after a year. So they're not eternally But a year is, I mean, really, somebody who has a malicious intent, they're like, okay, if I copy that USB stick, I now have uh, authentication capability in this, uh, in this organization. And people change that date as well, obviously, because if you, if you, I mean, like if you use that stick for more than a year, then suddenly it stops working and it's due to that certificate being expired. So the next time they create a stick, they make sure that they don't run into that same issue anymore. So they just change the validity. Give themselves five years. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, people do that by default now because it's annoying to troubleshoot and lose time on, on something. I can see, then, I understand, yeah. And, and I, th I think the rest of the, the items in our, in our slide deck were largely, we talked everybody like security means that a client and a server in any form of communication, because the client can actually be a server talking to another server, but in client-server communication to make sure it's secure, you need authentication and you need authentication in both directions. You need to make sure that the client authenticates with the server. That's mm -hmm. what we typically heavily focuses on, focus on and everybody looks at that, mm -hmm. but we need to make sure that the server does the same thing in reverse, because if not, somebody could put up a fake or we call a rogue server uh -huh. and make sure that the client talks to the wrong server. In OSD security, guess what happens if a client starts talking to the wrong Pixie server? 
and starts downloading. Or it gets whatever you want, whatever the uh, bad guy wants, yeah. And a Pixie server doesn't authenticate. Pixie servers don't authenticate. They're just like, they see the broadcast and yeah. they're like, me, me, me. Yeah. Hmm. And so, so, and so how do you, so how do you prevent against that? You or, don't enable Pixie on your entire network. You make sure that Pixie stays in staging a room controlled environment. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And um, let's see, going back to going back to our agenda, Power SCCM. Power SCCM is interesting because that's when we noticed that the hacking community is actually investing time and money in abusing SCCM. Power SCCM is a set of uh, it's a PowerShell module that you can use to create those hidden applications to harvest data from SCCM to get a view on all the collections that they are uh, there. So I can actually even with Power SCCM create an application that has some payload in it without the need to have a source files. So it'll just wrap everything up in Unicode and add it to the to the to the application and I can deploy it as a hidden application to your clients. And what do you recommend people do? Protect access to your SCCM. Make sure that no, really yeah there's Yeah, it just ties down everything we said before. I mean it's just yeah. it was to prove that it's it's really I think I, I demoed it during during the session. It's it's one line of PowerShell code to create this hidden application and send it out to your clients. So you, you do all the things we talked about before, protect right. your server, protect your content, protect your clients, and then this shouldn't be that much of an issue. Because at the end of the day, this is not a new a new access vulnerability point. It's just a tool that the hackers use. Yeah, it's just it's making their lives a lot easier. Code, yeah. Which is how they love to operate. Exactly. What they, what they do in a lot of those PowerShell modules is give attackers the data that is in SCCM that they might not be able to get by themselves because they don't know SCCM. But SCCM has a ton of data. One of the things we requested during our session is how many people in this room collect the local administrators of all of their workstations, which is a very popular item to inventory uh -huh. in an SCCM environment. And we basically asked the question after that, how many of you think that this is solid goals to an attacker? And you notice that all of the people said, start realizing like, yeah, we collect a lot of things that are useful to us as systems managers. We also collect a ton of things that are hugely valuable to somebody that's trying to attack your organization. At Remove Programs yeah. is the same. Like if I have a list of all the applications installed in your environment with a specific version number, I can abuse a vulnerability in any of those softwares to gain access to your environment as well. Yeah. And that's just standard things that SCCM does. Okay. Um, looking at the big picture here, your top one or two pieces of advice. It sounds like really it doesn't come down to that. It comes down to doing all of these things. Basically, you have to apply strong security best practices and spend a lot of time doing things maybe you don't even want to spend time doing, but if you want to have a secure environment, you have to break everything down. Yeah, and some, some of these things don't take a lot of work to enable and do right. It takes a little bit of knowledge about what the vulnerabilities are. So that's what we try to convey in, um, in our session. And the Microsoft Docs on SCCM actually have a serious amount of pages on security within SCCM. A lot of the things we talked about are either documented or at least hinted at during those, on those pages. Um, we have a feeling it, those are not the most read pages in 
the SCCM documentation. This is, you know, this has been an interesting recurring theme as I've been uh, doing podcasts with people here at MMS is like what resources, what blogs, and people are mentioning more and more Microsoft Docs actually has great information. So noted, there's a lot of great information on security here yep, that people may not absolutely. be aware is there. Yeah, absolutely. And you have your own blogging enterprises. What are your, you want to share that information? Oh, we're, um, we're probably going to do a blog series around that's probably heavy security focused because apart from SCCM security, um, we've done a ton of work with the Windows 10 feature called Windows Defender Application Control. Um, and in combination with SCCM, we actually built a four-day training on application-wide listing for a customer. Oh, wow. Um, in how do you do this? How do you, again, how do you abuse and avoid this? Mm -hmm. um, if there's a way to abuse and avoid this, again, how do you protect against that? Um, so we've done a ton of work in that area. So if they want to learn more about you or read the blogs you have written, where do they go? What's the URL? It's uh, www.oscc.be. So that's that's the company's blog. OSSC.be. OSCC.be. Thank you. OSCC.be. Exactly. Okay. Great. Uh, thank you so much for joining me today. You guys have a great rest of the show. Thank you thank for having us, Bill. Cheers. Thank you.